Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Hour number two of the program. Let me get, let me go ahead and start with the audio. Let's start with the audio because if I don't start with it, I probably won't get to it. Right? So here is, because I'll just keep running my yapper. So here is... North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop, he got in front of the uh, the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, they did a press conference out in front of the Capitol, uh, just ripping into this deal that McCarthy cut with the president. I also see now that the Democrat leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, he's now urging passage. You got most of the the Democrats uh, in our, our North Carolina congressional delegation. They have now expressed willingness to vote for it. And the Freedom Caucus is not happy. And they're saying that this goes against the deal that they had cut with McCarthy to get him the speakership. And what they are suggesting is that after this is over, however this plays out, they may try to knock him out of that seat. So here's Dan Bishop. It's not just that every Republican should should vote against this. It's a little bit more than that. This is a career-defining vote for every Republican. Um, All of you guys know that thus far in this Congress, the dynamic force in Washington has been the unified House majority. The fact that we resolved in January on concrete details how we were going to go forward together. And it it has been impactful over the first several months of Congress. Imagine the decision of Kevin McCarthy and his negotiators to forfeit that. Imagine that. Why would you give that up? Can you imagine doing it in the middle of a negotiating process without at least putting us all in a room to hash out or representatives from our, from our several groups among the Republican conference who've gotten together before? Can you calculate the cost of surrendering that advantage? But, but, but maybe worse, you know, in Washington, I thought the least present quality was courage. But I'm afraid truth tops that. All right, well, do we have to pick? Can we just say both? How about both? I'd say both. This bill, as others have given you detail on, is chock full of cosmetic things, yes. artificial things, things that actually have been outright lied about, misstated, like the a change to IRS funding. In every supposed get for the Republicans, they are they are chock full of cosmetics. But the hard and cold reality, and again, there's not a member here who can tell you exactly what the increase in the debt will be. We just know the timing that it has been moved out. <laughs> People said, actually, Kevin McCarthy said the Democrats didn't get anything in this bill. Who do you think wanted the maximum length extension of the debt ceiling and to make it undefined so nobody can pin it down? It may not it may be 6 trillion dollars. 
always think it's useful to say, do you know what a trillion is? Do the American people even, are they capable of evaluating? You know what a trillion is? They, somebody told me, I think it's about right, is a trillion is $8,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. So at $31.4 trillion, you're talking about every one of us walking around with a $250,000 extra mortgage. Four trillion more will take that up $32,000 over the course of two years. So Dan is showing his age here by suggesting that a $250,000 mortgage is <laughs> what people are carrying around now. Yeah, that's uh, that was pre-Biden. <laughs> All right. And what does the device of two years do? It removes the issue from the national conversation during the presidential election to come. How could you more successfully kneecap any Republican president than to take that issue out of his or her hands? So, by the way, that comment right there that he made about kneecapping a Republican presidential candidate by taking it off of the the agenda for the election, that's being cited by the left and the media, but I repeat myself, that's being cited as Dan Bishop says the quiet part out loud, which if I never hear that freaking slogan again, oh my gosh, like every once that thing made its way into the vernacular, it's everywhere. So he's not saying the quiet part out loud, by the way, that's what makes it even more annoying is that it's, it's not even really applicable. What he's saying is that now this is not going to be an issue in the election. And that's a problem for any challenger, right, who's trying to make the argument against the spending. Because now you've got Republicans signing on to this spending deal that you're going to have, what, the nominee attack Joe Biden for the deal? But then Biden just turns around and says... You know, I got a letter from, you know, 50 some odd uh, Intel chiefs that say it was all Russia. Oh, I'm sorry. Hang on a second. No, he would say, oh, uh, McCarthy and the other Republicans supported it. That's the point. You took it off the table for. For a political campaign to try to beat Joe Biden by pushing it out after the election, which is what Biden wanted. That's what he wanted. That's what's being done. So now let me tell you where what has to happen from this point forward. Every one of the people standing here are those people who had the courage and were prepared to be the truthful ones to stand up in January and contest the speaker election in order to get that agreement that unified the Republicans, that allowed the Republicans to pass a bill with 218 votes when they told us we could never do it. These people did that. There are other men and women of courage and honesty in the Republican conference. Some of them have come out in the last hours. Corey Mills, Nancy Mace, Mike Waltz, I just saw, Wesley Hunt. Many more need to emerge. If there is any path to salvaging what we began as a unified conference, if there is any path to that, this bill, if it passes, must pass with less than half of the Republican conference. That is the challenge. And it is no longer, look, we're prepared to stand up and take the slings and the arrows. We're prepared to tell you the truth. We're prepared to act in courage and honesty to the American people. It falls to my other colleagues who have not joined us before. This is the moment now. 
colleagues' words ring in my ears from a, from a conversation last night. Only in Washington would anybody spend any time quibbling over the $12 billion cut, or is it maybe $20 billion, or is it, is it fake entirely because you're holding $22 billion of COVID money and new funds at Commerce Department to use to repurpose for other spending? All that crap. What the American people all get. Now look, there's some people who are, I understand they're on the left, they think debt and spending is, is the way to go forever. Most Americans, 60% of them, right, it's an AP poll. 60% said they wanted cuts to spending in conjunction with changing the debt ceiling. Because they all know, they all know it is on a, on a cataclysmic, unsustainable path. And so, what they know is, look, they didn't want our bill, right? The $1.5 trillion increase, let's be honest about it. That's, they go, why would you do that? Because that bill had an articulable path that we embarked on. It would take many phases, by the way, but we could eventually turn this place and get to a, back to a, a politics of sanity. Not this. The only thing we get here is tokenism, a token, artificial, fake, nothing benefits. And you don't even need to talk that long, as long as I have to Americans, for them to understand four or six trillion dollars in debt growth. That is insane. So, to my colleagues in the Republican conference, you have a few hours to make up your mind. You are the key to our being able to reacquire the unity. Now, it's going to take some steps, by the way. Because the leadership decision to forfeit that is going to have to be dealt with. All right. So he mentioned in those comments, Congresswoman Nancy Mace from uh, South Carolina. She went on a Twitter a tweet storm, as it was known in my day, now a thread, which started off that Republicans got outsmarted by a president who cannot find his pants. <laughs> which tells you something uh, about the prowess of the GOP. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll take a, we'll take a look because she documents and does a deep dive into the bill and what it what she says it does. Um, but I also have more from David Dayen from uh, the Pros- American Prospect Prospect dot org, uh, where he's of the left and he's like, all of this stuff seems pretty cool to me. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Got an email here from Bob who says, Pete, Congressman Dan Bishop is correct. I know that because number one, the House Speaker is from California. And number two, Democrats are for the bill. All right, so that's it. When you see a lot of Democrats lining up behind the bill, then you're like, eh, mm, 
Here's what Nancy May said. Congresswoman from South Carolina. She said she's voting no on the debt ceiling debacle because playing the D.C. game is not worth selling out our kids and grandkids. Let's dive into the bill. This deal normalizes record high spending started during the pandemic. It sets these historically high spending levels as the baseline for all future spending. The bill then grows government even more each year at about 1%. After factoring in a small cut to discretionary spending over the next two years, we're still talking about $6 trillion more or less in spending because of large increases in spending elsewhere. In other words, it's a wash spending-wise. It's a wash. Government grew massively. Over the past three years, this growth was supposed to be emergency funding only during COVID. During this time, government grew 40% or by $2 trillion over the course of four years. We went from spending just over $4 trillion, now we're spending over $6 trillion. This deal keeps that record high spending intact, and it makes it the baseline for all spending. That is wild. The bill doesn't actually set a debt limit either. Rather, it suspends the debt limit entirely until January 2nd, 2025. And there is no actual capping the debt ceiling. Some say there will be a $2 trillion deficit in six years, but the CBO guesstimate relies on spending caps that do not exist and are not binding in any way in this deal. Only in D.C. is a bill clawing back some small amount of unspent COVID funds considered a cut. Exactly right. They tell us that the bill cuts $41 billion in the first year, about the same amount as the unspent COVID funds. Pretty convenient. Also, not a cut. And on that note, do we really think that the states are going to send back the unspent COVID money Or are they going to find a way to use the money so they don't have to send it back? Pay as you go has some fine print under Section 265 that everybody should read. The OMB director has sole waiver authority to spend if it's, quote, necessary for program delivery. This is the pay-go portion. Let me, uh, hang on a second, I have it here. In the pay-go portion, this is cited by Congressman Greg Murphy. North Carolina congressman. Um, It reigns in dictatorial executive branch spending by enacting the first ever statutory administrative pay-go, which is pay-as-you-go, preventing the Biden administration from spending billions via regulatory edict. However, Real Clear Politics' Phil Wegman asked the, the OMB director, Shalanda Young, how often the administration would take advantage of their right to waive pay-go. Her answer, as often as the White House wants. She says, it's impossible to know the frequency, but I do know we negotiated all of this in good faith. We will follow the processes laid out in the law on PAYGO. And if that waiver is deemed necessary to make sure President Biden's agenda is carried forward, we're going to use that authority. Okay, well, so that doesn't seem like it's raining in much of anything. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, 
radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? I'm going over some of the details here on the uh, on this debt ceiling deal. And Nancy Mace, I mean, hardly a, uh, you know, I would not lump her in with the radical right-wingers. What, what, what do they call it? I'm trying to remember what they were called during the uh, the holdout over McCarthy. Like the the terrorists or whatever. <laughs> I forget. The legislative terrorists. I forget the, all, all of the different names that they came up with uh, to describe. Guys like Dan Bishop and Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene. These were the folks that were trying to, Negotiate and Byron Donalds. I have audio from him as well. In fact, well, no, let me finish with the Nancy May stuff. Um, so the Pago, this Pago thing that is being cited as, oh, look at us. We're uh, in order to, uh, you know, we're going to we're, we're going to restrain the executive branch with this Pago thing, so they won't be able to to do any new spending uh, unless they make some cut elsewhere to offset that cost. Yeah, unless of course the OMB director says no, we have to do this, then they get to do it. Well. That doesn't seem <laughs> that doesn't seem foolproof to me. Congresswoman Nancy May says these words on paper are totally meaningless if you read the fine print. At one point four billion dollar a one point four billion dollar cut to the IRS does not equal eighty billion in cuts to the IRS. One is one point four and one is eighty. Nor does it mean we are gutting the IRS or its eighty seven thousand new hires. Allegedly. There will be $10 billion cut off off the top for 2024 during the appropriations process, but it also is not in the bill. That money can be cut anywhere. The IRS decides. Work requirements for SNAP moved from 50 to 54. Student loan forgiveness executive order repeal never happened. Not sure why anybody even bothered here. Manchin's carve-out for his pipeline is not germane to the bill. This is just your run-of-the-mill government picking winners and losers in the market and business as usual in Washington. A continuing resolution at 99% in Section 102 only applies to discretionary and provides ample time for an omnibus should all else fail. While we like the intent here, it's like a penny plan for discretionary. But once again, because of how it's written, it's meaningless. It fully funds every spending request by the administration, pretty much. And just a friendly reminder, debt ceilings are about future outlays, about future spending and how it will be financed. It's not about past spending or past obligations from one administration to another. Let that sink in. 63% of Americans want Congress to cut spending as part of a debt ceiling deal. This bill doesn't do that. It's unacceptable. Washington is was and always will be lousy at responsibly spending your tax dollars. That won't change unless we demand change. All right, so that's Nancy Mace. Um, I've heard uh, comments about uh, TANF funding, which uh, it, it's a, it's a this is a it's a welfare program and. Um, People are like, oh, there's some changes being made there. Not really. Small checks. It's going to be in a couple of pilot states. um, And it doesn't even take effect until like three years down the road. So like even 
even David Dayen at the at prospect.org, he's the prospect's executive editor, worked at the Intercept, New Republic, Huffington Post, Washington Post, right? He's a he's of the left. He doesn't see a problem with it. On the SNAP work requirements, this is uh, the you know, food stamps. He says this is a very odd phase in. Able-bodied, childless adults must work to avoid time limits on nutrition assistance. The cutoff moves from 49 years old to 50 after within 90 days of passage. And then it goes to 52 at the beginning of the fiscal year, which is 30 days later. So you have a phase in of, of a month. The full change to age 54 kicks in October 2024, but then sunsets in 2030. Oh, and by the way, the, uh, where is it? The, do, 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 do. the Congressional Budget Office assessment on the SNAP. Um, where was it here? I go, oh, I may, that may have been a tweet I saw. Um, it doesn't, it, 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 it has no material impact whatsoever. In fact, you're going to have more people because, first off, the feds uh, waived a lot of these work requirements for the states. And so they're not doing it now. And all you're doing is now adding more people so they can't, they can't do a work requirement for veterans, homeless people either. And so, it, like, this, this work requirement is nothing. In fact, it, it, the funding grows <laughs> so it's not even that. So that was the snap deal. I'll, I'll find the, the details on that. Oh, I do have this. Hang on. I'm all over the place. I know I'm all over the place. So this is, um, yeah, here it is. This is the final debt ceiling deal as compared to what was initially passed in the House. Chip Roy sent this out, congressman from Texas. There was a $131 billion cut to annual spending next year shrinks the federal bureaucracy to pre-COVID levels, and caps the growth for 10 years. What we got? At best, a two-year freeze in spending in which $12 billion in top-line cuts are negated by other spending that could grow the federal bureaucracy. What the original bill had? Strong work requirements. Medicaid, SNAP, TANF. What we got? Minor work requirements that create new exemptions and then phase out. No work requirements at all for Medicaid. What we passed, H.R. 1, energy permitting reform. What we got, minor permitting reform that fast-tracks IRA-subsidized unreliable energy and batteries. That's uh, Inflation Reduction Act, IRA. Includes number one priority for mansion. So these are the... These, that's half. I haven't even gotten to all of them. On the uh, permitting issue, what uh, David Dayen writes at prospect.org, permitting really is a nothing burger. It's a nothing burger. And he goes through and he's like, there's one provision on interregional transmission lines, but he says it's clear that the monopoly utilities lobbied that provision into dust. So, like, there's nothing really there. They added in Joe Manchin's Mountain Valley Pipeline Approval, or what's now being called the Pipeline Payoff among the progressives. That's in the deal. How about this one? AI Environmental Reviews. (laughs) They're going to, yeah, a study commissioned on the potential use of uh, AI 
to address delays in environmental reviews. And he says he's not worried about the PAYGO, the administrative PAYGO, because of the way it got watered down. See, so if you read, this is why I always say, get your news from multiple sources or just from me because I get mine and then I give it to you. No, I'm kidding. But you, if you get your news from multiple sources, you can, you can kind of see what these arguments are and you can hear this information. So when I keep hearing on the left that they're like, this is okay, this is okay. Oh, this looked good. Oh, I, I was worried about this, but now I'm not. Well, now, I, now I'm starting to wonder, did Republicans really get anything here? All right. Hey, real quick. It is estimated that more than six million Americans have Alzheimer's. It affected my family. My grandpa had it. New research and treatments are showing promise, but there's still a long way to go. So can you help me by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's Western Carolina chapter? The Family Dance Party Charlotte's on June 10th from one o'clock until five o'clock. It's at the Roxbury Nightclub in Uptown Charlotte. Go to Mix1079.com and get tickets and come bust a move on the dance floor or donate tickets to a family that's battling the disease. The Family Dance Party is presented by Jameson Realty. Again, if you can help us out, I appreciate it. Go to Mix1079.com and thank you for considering the request. Going back to this uh, chart that Congressman Chip Roy published comparing the the final deal, what he calls the GOP deal with the swamp, at a cost of $4 trillion, additionally $4 trillion. And what they originally passed in the House, which was the Limit Save Grow Act, or as I call it, the LISG, um, that was only $1.5 trillion. So this is, these are the comparisons, and he's, he's running through this checklist. And I'll give you just these last three. The original repealed... Democrats' $1.2 trillion inflation reduction, unreliable energy tax break for the rich, corporations, and communist China. They repealed that. This deal preserves every cent of the Democrats' massive crony energy giveaway to their rich, unreliable energy donor class and the TRICOMs. I guess he's calling it unreliable energy instead of reliable energy. Also, another comparison... The original bill rescinded the $80 billion that Democrats gave to the IRS to hire 87,000 new agents to target middle-class Americans. This new deal keeps 98% of the IRS expansion. And future IRS spending will be used to expand woke, weaponized bureaucracy. And finally, the original bill that the House passed reclaimed $50 billion in unobligated, unspent COVID funds. This only reclaims $28 billion, not 50 It reclaims $28 billion. There is this other thing that people have pointed to about this automatic CR, the auto CR. So going back to that lefty at prospect.org, he says the, uh, the deal only creates top-line numbers, essentially baselines for future budget appropriations that have not been written yet. We don't know what those are going to be. If those bills are not passed by January 1, 2024, so this coming January, an automatic continuing resolution snaps in, and it snaps in at the level of fiscal year 2023, minus 1%. This is the, quote, penny plan. It's the brainchild of Thomas Massey, who sits on the House Rules Committee, and he has now supported this. But that auto CR treats defense, veterans, 
and non-defense spending differently. Okay? Specifically, it's harsher on the defense and the veteran side. So the buckets of spending that were increased significantly in the debt ceiling deal. So if they go all the way back to fiscal year 2023 levels, it's going to be a deeper cut from where they would have been. Adjusted for inflation, the cut to defense would be about 10%. He sees this, by the way, as a, as a good thing. Okay, He sees this as a good thing. He says the upshot is if Congress doesn't pass the spending bills, then the military loses about $37 billion from what they'd otherwise get. And the IRS would keep almost all of its funding boost. The trade-off is that non-defense discretionary would lose around $7 billion more. And veterans funding would lose a significant amount, probably somewhere between 5 and 7%. So what does that mean? It means you've got incentives here for that not to be the case, right? People are not going to be interested in having that happen. So he's not really worried about the auto CRs either. Now, all of that being said, I do recognize this other argument. And this comes from Michael Brendan Doherty over at the National Review, who says he's a bit surprised by the level of Surprise. <laughs> the level of anger, the level of vitriol coming at Speaker McCarthy from his right, from the House Freedom Caucus. It seemed obvious to all of us outside the negotiations that by getting to a united uh, Republican approach in the House, McCarthy was put in the best position to try to get some minor concessions from the Democrat-controlled Senate and the White House. What did the fiscal conservatives expect here? Did they think that Biden would just take the GOP House bill without alteration and make the Senate choke it down? Did they expect McCarthy to lead the GOP caucus to unite around the bill and force a default first? One that would be easy for the president and the Senate Democrats to lay at the feet of the House Republicans? He says, look, it was never going to be a great fiscal reform bill, especially when Republicans themselves started their position by ruling out changes to entitlement spending. And by the way, why have Republicans done that? Why have Republicans taken that off the table? Why has the GOP been very, been very, very clear, right? They come out and be, we want to be very clear. We are not going to cut Medicare and Social Security. Why do they keep saying that? Because that's what Trump has been saying in order to position himself in the primary to his advantage, right? He has, he's made that a part of his America first platform. And so Republicans have also now adopted that mantra. Well, okay, kind of limits you because that's mandatory spending. So you only control one chamber, right? You don't have the White House, you don't have the Senate, and you've already... You've already ruled out any kind of changes in entitlement spending, right? So you're going to try to get some spending cuts, maybe some caps, right? And you move the White House off of their uh, only a clean bill position. So what is that a win? Also, it allows the, the, the far right and the far left to vote no while avoiding the catastrophic economic calamity, right? I see that argument.
Thank you.